want to especially thank Pastor Garrett and the elders of Delray Baptist Church uh, for humbling themselves and having a Presbyterian bring the word to you this morning. I told some of my friends at Westminster I was invited to preach at a Southern Baptist church, and we have several Southern Baptist brothers and sisters at Westminster, but the Presbyterian brother I shared that with, he said, wow, that's awesome, that's super encouraging. I said, but Pastor Garrett told me I can preach about anything I want except for baptism. So the guy said, well, then just preach on circumcision. But I'm not going to do that this morning. It's super encouraging to come into the Delray Baptist Church parking lot and see that there is a Presbyterian church that meets here as well, and it says serving Christ together. What a great blessing. We have so much more in common uh, than in, in difference, namely the gospel of God's Son to proclaim. I have a few questions for you this morning. What is the most precious thing in the world that you would do anything to get your hands on? What has so much value and so much worth that it's worth pursuing with all your heart? If there's one thing, what, what one thing is there that you can't go on living without? Because to fail to have it means death. Well, according to Proverbs chapter 2, the most precious thing in the world that has more value than everything else that's worth our lifelong pursuit, that to obtain it equals life and to fail to obtain it equals death is the wisdom found in God's word. Not the wisdom of man, which the preacher in Ecclesiastes says is a vain, worthless pursuit, but the wisdom of God laid down for us and preserved for us in his holy word for his sons and daughters. And the wisdom of God that's bound up in the fear of the Lord Therefore, at the end of Ecclesiastes, the preacher says, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter then after all has been heard, is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. Truly, this is the whole duty of man, the all of man, the everything of man. Did you catch who the preacher in Ecclesiastes was addressing his words to? Ecclesiastes 12, 12, my son. And that's because... Based on God's word, the primary role of fathers and mothers is to impart God's precious wisdom and knowledge to our sons and daughters. And if you are not married or if you're married and you don't have children, to impart God's precious wisdom to spiritual sons and daughters. To teach the truth of who God is and what he's done to save his people 
and how his precious wisdom is to be applied and lived out in our lives. Well, it's with that I invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2, which can be found on page 528 in your pew Bible. We'll notice our passage begins with the same address, my son. It's interesting that my son appears 23 times in the book of Proverbs. And so this is special instruction for parents among us. This is the living, infallible, inspired, inerrant word of Christ. Proverbs chapter 2. My son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, in delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked, And who are devious in their ways. So also you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. From the adulteress with her smooth words. Who forsakes the companion of her youth. And forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death. And her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back. Nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. May the Lord bless the preaching and the hearing and the obeying of his holy word. Notice again, Proverbs chapter 2 begins with the words, my son. In fact, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, makes quite clear that this book is written from the son of David to his sons. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Hear this 
father lovingly, firmly addressing his son, his child, to pursue wisdom at all costs. It's interesting that the book of Ecclesiastes opens in a similar way, mentioning that the book is written by the son of David, the king. Ecclesiastes, and especially for our consideration this morning, the book of Proverbs, bring us into this intimate father-son relationship. Yes, a royal, kingly father-son relationship where Solomon is likely conveying to his prince sons what his father, King David, taught him. We know from Psalm chapter 8 that David understood his kingship as a new Adam king. Who is man that you're mindful of him? And who is the Ben-Adam, the son of Adam, that you care for him? Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And you put all things under his feet, all the works of your hands, all the beasts of the field. And so David, and therefore Solomon, understood their kingship in Adamic terms, God giving Adam dominion. Just as God the king created Adam as a royal prince son in his image and imparted wisdom to Adam through his revelation to him, so Adam had sons in his image and he was to pass this wisdom on to them until the whole earth was full of wise sons and daughters who glorified God. And enjoyed him forever. But we know that Adam failed to demonstrate the wisdom of God. At the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Where he was to discern between the difference of good and evil. Adam should have cast out the serpent. And imaged Yahweh. Imaged his heavenly father. But he failed to do so. Therefore, since the fall of Adam... In the drama of redemption, in his one unfolding story, God has been at work to bring about a new, wise, royal son. And the book of Proverbs brings us into that story. Therefore, we should make much connection between this royal father's wisdom for his son and daughters, speaking in the book of Proverbs, and the heavenly father's Wisdom that comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that brings us to our main idea of our text. The Father's wisdom is so precious that it's worth seeking at all cost. The Father's wisdom is so precious and valuable. It's worth seeking at all costs because to gain it gives life. And to put it negatively, to not obtain this precious wisdom and to apply it to our lives results in death and destruction. We'll arrive at this main idea with these five points Someone had a good idea of having five points to summarize theology. I think that's fine in our our community here. Our five points this morning, 
First, the search for wisdom, verses 1 to 5. Then the source of wisdom, verses 6 to 8. The sweetness of wisdom, verses 9 to 11. The seriousness of wisdom, verses 12 to 22. And lastly, and most importantly, the son of wisdom. First, let's begin with the search for wisdom in verses 1 to 5 of Proverbs chapter 2. Notice in our passage in verses 1 to 5, this search for wisdom has an escalating progression that builds in each verse, showing the climax in the discovery. The father promises his beloved son that if he hides wisdom in his heart, verse 1, and then listens to it, verse 2, and then calls out for it, verse 3, and seeks it above all else, verse 4, then he guarantees his son will find it. And since the genre of the book of Proverbs is Hebrew poetry, we should expect parallelism, where in each verse, the first line is usually unpacked by the second line. For instance, line A of verse 1, my son, if you receive my words, line B, and treasure up my commandments, where receiving and treasuring up are synonymous or perhaps treasuring up even expands on or expounds the prior verb. And likewise, my words in line A are expanded upon or expounded by specifically my commandments. So the kind of words that this son must receive and treasure up are instructional containing commandments for how the son should apply God's word in a fallen, broken world. In fact, a quick survey of verses 1 to 7 give us several words for the word of God and its content that's applied to the life of the one who lives the word. Notice verse 1, my words, my commandments. Verse 2, wisdom, understanding. Verse 3, insight or discernment, understanding. Verse 5, the fear of the Lord, which is the knowledge of God. In verse 6, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Verse 7, wisdom. And so here we have the father promising his son that if if you receive my words of wisdom, meaning if you take hold of them, meaning if you store them up and treasure them up within, which means to put them deeply into your memory and your heart, into the deepest recesses of your being, then there will be reward. Essentially, the father is doing Deuteronomy 6. The Lord commanded parents in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to teach their children his word and his commandments that these people, his people must write his, their, his word on their hearts, which is by in Proverbs 3, the dad tells his son to write the Lord's commandments on his heart. I think this brings into view scripture memorization. Not just rote memorization, like how you and I crammed for our algebra exams in high school or college and then forgot the formulas the next week, but rather memorize it, put it on your heart so that it changes your affections and your desires. 
but there's progression and there's, there's buildup. The father promises his son that the result of receiving and treasuring up his commandments within him will be verse 2. In the Hebrew, it's literally making your ear to, in order to cause your ear to be attentive to wisdom. So that then you listen to this word of wisdom. Causing the word to be stored up in our heart causes us to be more attentive and sensitive by the Holy Spirit to the scriptures. Causes our ear to be attentive. And notice what's in parallel with ear is the heart. Your heart will be inclined and lifted up, literally stretched out toward understanding. So the ear is an extension of the heart. It's not just going in one ear and out the other. Hence, having ears to hear. So verse 1 brings into view scripture memorization. And verse 2 brings into view obeying and listening to and applying the word. Verse 3 gets even more emphatic in the Hebrew Truly, yes, indeed, if you call out for this wisdom, prayer. If you call out for this wisdom, that is, if you lift up your voice for understanding, God promises to freely give it. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who promises to give it to us, James 1.5. But how bad do we want it? More progression. Verse 4 continues. If, and this is a real if, it's conditional, meaning a result will come about if and only if. If you seek it like silver and search it out like hidden treasure. Why search for it like hidden treasure? Because you see that God's wisdom is the most valuable, precious thing on earth. More valuable than a million bucks. The escalation and climax continues. The father promises his son, if he hides wisdom in his heart, listens to it, calls out for it, seeks it, then, verse 5, it's emphatic in the Hebrew, then you are guaranteed to find it. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's not a hopeless pursuit. It's not a vain quest. Our Father is faithful. He guarantees that this search for wisdom is not useless. If you seek it, you will find it. If you knock, it will be open to you. If you ask, it will be given to you. Notice the connection here between wisdom and the fear of the Lord. This son is supposed to be making his ear attentive to wisdom. He's supposed to be searching for it. And what he finds, though, is the fear of the Lord. There's a great connection between wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So wisdom has everything to do with the fear of the Lord because in seeking and listening for wisdom, the result is the fear of the Lord 
And we must ask, what in the world is the fear of the Lord? Some of you maybe have grown up enjoying horror movies. Is this just the replacement of a, of a Freddy Krueger film? Well, perhaps people love horror movies because they were made to fear and tremble at the living God. It's the wrong fear. But remember, the human author inspired by the Spirit, he's doing Deuteronomy 6. He likely has in mind the law of Moses, the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. In the first places we find this phrase, the fear of the Lord, is actually in the book of Exodus. And let's go back briefly to the book of Exodus to see how the fear of the Lord is connected to reverential respect for God in his holiness and his power and in his word and also being amazed at the living God for his saving acts on behalf of his people. Fear of the Lord is first found in Exodus chapter 9. After Moses declared that the Lord was sending a plague of hail upon the Egyptians and their livestock, look what it means to fear the Lord. The Lord told Moses to say to the Egyptians, Exodus 9.19, Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, because every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. The servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord responded to the word of the Lord. Perhaps some of those Egyptians came to faith says in the book of Exodus, a great mixed multitude went up out of Egypt. But the fear of the Lord is also being amazed at God's saving power. Notice how it's used again in Exodus 14 after the Lord has displayed his rescuing redemption on behalf of his people, bringing them through the Red Sea. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord worked against the Egyptians, then the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant, Moses. So the fear of the Lord causes us to respond to God's word in obedience But the fear of the Lord makes us amazed at his saving power and it causes us to trust and believe in him. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast, faithful covenant love. Psalm 33. Christian, do you have the fear of the Lord? a healthy respect for God as your righteous father who says, don't touch that burner. It's hot. You will burn yourself. Do you take heed to his words? Are you aware aware of his power and his holiness and his hatred of sin? And do you reflect that in your own life? I doubt that our children who respect us as parents would sit on our laps and slap us in the face. Likewise, the fear of the Lord is trust in belief in God's saving power on your behalf. 
Notice here in Proverbs 2.5 that understanding the fear of the Lord is connected to finding the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. We see this connection in Proverbs 9.10 which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Knowledge of the Holy One. Knowing the Holy One. Knowledge is always intimate, personal, covenantal, relational when it comes to the knowledge of God. It's knowing this God in intimate fellowship and communion with him where you become more amazed by his love and his power and his goodness. So it's safe to say fearing the Lord is loving the Lord, trusting, obeying him, worshiping him. As Jerry Bridges says, it sums up the Christian life. Well, a great question that should arise now is, where can I find this wisdom? If it's the most precious thing in the world, where can I find it? That brings us to the source of wisdom. Verses 6 to 8. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. This for can be translated because or truly. And it's interesting that in Hebrew, usually the verb comes before the noun, unlike English. Oftentimes we have subject, then noun. But in Hebrew, usually it's verb, then noun. But in the Hebrew, the noun is first to make it emphatic. The Lord, Yahweh, God's special covenant name is the one who is with his people. Truly, Yahweh, he himself gives wisdom. From his mouth, put in the front again, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So the way the Lord gives wisdom is from his mouth, from his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but, from, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of the living God. Now listen to the prophet Daniel. He makes clear the source and fountain of all wisdom is God himself. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. And as the source of wisdom, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. The source of wisdom is the triune God, but he's not only the source of wisdom who keeps it in himself, he pours it out upon his children who seek him and who ask for it. Look at the great benefits of wisdom from the source of wisdom and the father's goodness for his sons and daughters in verses 7 and 8. It's interesting, this verb here, he stores up sound wisdom. That's the same verb from verse 1, treasure up. But it's used over and over again in Proverbs chapter 1 in a negative way where the wicked store up or hide in secret in order to ambush and rob the innocent for no reason. That's in 111 and 118. Let me read it for you. If they say, come with us, let us hide, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Verse 18, but these men hide. 
They lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Likely the writer of Proverbs using a play on words, instead of hiding in a negative sense, hide and store up God's word within you. And in verse 7, he will store up sound wisdom for you. He will hide or treasure up sound wisdom for you that will guard your life. Part of the Father's precious wisdom is that it provides protection. There's a protecting, rescuing, saving effect with the wisdom of God. It's a protective shield. The second half of verse 7 says, he's a shield for the benefit of those who walk in integrity. Verse 8, in order to protect the ways of justice, he guards the way of his faithful ones. Verse 11, those same verbs, to guard and to protect, are used for how God's wise discretion and discernment guard us and protect us. So is it God who protects us and guards us? Or his word? Yes. The word does the work. As we store God's word up within, it is a shield The Lord threw his word by his spirit. Our third point is the sweetness of wisdom. The sweetness of wisdom, verses 9 to 11. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant, literally beautiful to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Several precious rewards to obtaining wisdom. One of the interesting things in Proverbs is that for those who have wisdom, they get more wisdom. Because we're all born fools. Perhaps you are not a Christian and you're here. And you are worshiping with us and uh, fellowshipping with us. We're so glad to have you. But the scripture makes clear we are all born wicked fools. And in the Bible, being a fool or being wise is not an intellectual thing. I know an illiterate man who went to glory who loved the Lord much more than me. Wisdom is based on knowing the Lord and obeying and believing his word. And therefore, if you don't know the Lord, scripture calls you a fool and you have no wisdom. You are a fool and you come before God and acknowledge, Lord, I am a fool. Give me wisdom. And when the Lord makes you born again, he gives you the spirit of wisdom and it becomes a garden for more wisdom to grow. Verse 10 says, you get more wisdom. Then wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It will be delightful. It will be sweet to you. Proverbs 1.5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, let him obtain guidance. So what's so dope about biblical wisdom is the more wisdom you get, the more wisdom you get. <laughs> And as you continue to sit at the feet of your teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives you wisdom, that becomes a foundation for more wisdom and more wisdom. And it goes to all eternity. As we know this glorious God, that's eternal life. Another 
sweet reward of wisdom in verse 9 is then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. These three words, righteousness, justice, and equity, are also found in Proverbs 1.3. It's pretty clear that the parent, the father, knows children need repetition. So he's repeating himself from Proverbs 1. And in Proverbs 1.3, he makes quite clear that one of the whole points of the book of Proverbs is for God's children to grow in understanding righteousness and justice and equity which have to do with wise dealings amongst people, amongst image bearers. It is a wonderful way of imaging God. Listen how righteousness, justice, and equity are used for God the King in Psalm 99.4. The King in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. So wisdom is not just about knowing the Lord. It's not just about our vertical relationship, but our horizontal relationships. Not just loving the Lord, but loving those made in his image. Listen as these words are used in Proverbs 31.9. Open your mouth. Do justice righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. One of the primary roles of the king of Israel was to do justice for the oppressed, the widow, the fatherless, the marginalized, the alien. Because guess what? That's what their king, Yahweh, did when he saved Israel out of bondage. And so the king of Israel was to image him. Just dealings on behalf of the poor, standing for the truth, not allowing the widow and the marginalized to be oppressed, and executing judgment against oppressors. We see in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon is beginning to do this sum. Remember, a case is brought to him. There are two women. They each have a baby. One rolls over and kills the baby in the middle of the night. They bring the dead baby to Solomon who has to do righteous and justice for these women. And he does. He notices that right when he's about to kill the baby, the woman who really wants the baby says, just give it to her. Let the baby live. And the Israelites said, wow, this king is wise. He is just. He is righteous. He is equity. Unfortunately, Solomon and his sons would fail in this area so that Judah and Israel would eventually be exiled, not just for covenant breaking in their vertical relationship, but for oppressing the poor and the needy. According to the book of Amos, they were exiled from the land. Deadly consequences for rulers who do not do righteousness and justice and equity. May it not be said of my church or Delray Baptist Church on the day of judgment that we failed to protect and defend the oppressed and marginalized in America or in Alexandria, not as a replacement of the gospel, but a necessary implication of it. 
Righteousness, justice, and equity goes beyond just broad social issues. It, deal, it has to do with how we have righteous, honest dealings with those around us, whether it's in business affairs or in trading or how we deal with our siblings. When it's time for you to share a piece of the last part of the pie, do you give your little brother the smallest piece? Or do you give him the bigger piece? Righteous, justice, equity. To neglect these things, brothers and sisters, is to destroy ourselves. It's to take away a shield from guarding us. Hence our fourth point, the seriousness of wisdom. It's a matter of life or death. It's a matter of heaven or hell. Notice how the result of wisdom, verses 12 to 13, is to rescue you from the way of evil men, to deliver you, to rescue you, to rescue you from those who forsake the paths of uprightness. But then in 16 and 17, the same verb, it's to deliver you, to rescue you from the forbidden woman who forsakes her husband and her God. Verses 12 to 15 speaks of those on the way of death, on the path of evil, whose ways are twisted and perverted and deceitful, who walk in the ways of darkness. Again, echoing back to Proverbs chapter 1, that the son must avoid running in gangs or hanging out with those who are on the path of destruction. Youths, teens, young adults, adults, senior citizens. In one sense, you are who you hang out with. Now we should dwell among sinners and tax collectors for evangelistic reasons. But if we make ourselves comfortable and we sit in the seat of scoffers, Oftentimes, we will find ourselves on the same path as the wicked. If we're listening to music where the artists rejoice in evil, look at verse 14, who rejoice in doing evil. That affects your soul. But the father expands his warnings in 16 and 17 The rescuing power of wisdom is also to rescue you or deliver you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. This brings into view how biblical wisdom rescues us from sexual sin of all kinds. Sexual sin is any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage between one woman and one man. Striking that these words in verse 16 for forbidden woman and for adulteress are used for the false gods and the idols that the Israelites were tempted to worship. Hence the mention in verse 17 that this adulterous woman, she both forsakes her husband and she forgets and breaks her covenant with her God. So while Solomon is talking about literal adultery and a literal seductress, there's also symbolism in mind 
because to whore after an adulteress or pornography or lust with our eyes is really a vivid picture of going after another God, another lover. It's to break covenant with the living God. Adultery is really a gross and vivid picture of idolatry. Having intimate relations with the immoral woman, the forbidden woman, would have struck a chord with the Hebrew listener, who the forbidden gods, the foreign gods of the nations. And here's the serious warning, verse 18 and 19. Indeed, her house sinks down to death. Her tracks go down to what Bruce Walkie calls the realm of the dead. All who go, literally, all who go into her, play on words there, all who go into her do not come back out, and they do not obtain the paths of life. It's life or death, brothers and sisters, to obtain this wisdom, which will rescue us from the way of evil and rescue us from the forbidden woman from sexual morality. To obtain God's wisdom is to obtain the path of life, which in verse 21 says results in dwelling in the land, for the upright will inhabit the land. The land here is referring to the promised land, the land of the living, which for Israel was the land where God dwelt with his people. He dwelt among his people through blood sacrifice, In the temple, it was a temple land, a land of fellowship with the living God. But this land was really typological and pointing forward to the heavenly promised land. Hebrews 11, which we sang about, Abraham was really seeking a heavenly land. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Our Lord Jesus Christ has this interpretation of the land In Matthew 5, he makes clear that blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Quoting Psalm 37, literally blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the land, the earth. As aretz in the Hebrew can mean land or earth. It's the heavenly promised land. But to reject God's wisdom is to not dwell or inhabit the land Verse 22, the wicked ones will be cut off from the land and the treacherous, the betrayers, the traitors will be torn away from it. Yahweh promised that if his people turn away from worshiping him to other gods, they will be cut off out of the land of the living. And so again, obtaining wisdom or not is a matter of heaven and hell. We know the story. The nation of Israel and Judah and their kings, they were called to pursue this wisdom, to know the Lord and exercise justice and righteousness in their midst. Israel was called God's son so that Israel as a nation could read Proverbs 2.1, my son, he's talking to us. But God's son Israel did not continue in wisdom. They did not fear the Lord. They whored after idols. Verse 
And just like Adam and Eve were exiled from the temple of Eden, Israel was exiled, cut off from the land of God's presence. Isaiah 1 The Lord says, sons I have brought up, but they've rebelled against me. Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Likewise, Hosea, hear the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. There's no knowledge of God in the land. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. When God made a covenant with Abraham... He cut a covenant, karat, same verb here in verse 22. And he performed a covenant-cutting ceremony. He got animals, and they were sliced in half, and Yahweh passed through as a smoking pot and a fiery torch saying, Abraham, Abram at that time, if I break my covenant, may I be cut off like these animals. And then the Lord warns in the prophets, Israel, I will make you like him who passes through the carcasses. You will be cut off for your covenant breaking. If we're honest this morning, we have been the fool. We have not been the upright. I can admit with the if-then principle, I have not sought wisdom with all my heart. I have not seen it as the greatest treasure on earth. I have not hid the Lord's word in my heart and called out for it in prayer. I have not done justice and righteous and equity for the poor and the marginalized or those around me made in the image of God. Many in our midst have gone into the immoral woman And the book of Proverbs says, in and of yourself, there's no coming out. We're in danger of being cut off out of the land, which will occur on the day of judgment. Eternal exile, depart from me, I never knew you, into the lake of fire. But the good news of the gospel is that there is a wise son of David. Proverbs 1.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. There's a wise son who pleased his heavenly father, which brings us to our fifth point, the son of wisdom. A wise son makes a glad father. Proverbs 10.1. And Micaiah Brindle, I can say, I have experienced this. You make me glad, son, as the Lord has worked in your life and brought you to faith in Jesus Christ. But that's relatively speaking. My son and I are both sinners. There is a son of the father who has made him perfectly, completely glad. Jesus Christ, the son of David, came into this world to live the book of Proverbs. He sought wisdom. He lived out wisdom. He made his father glad on behalf of all of the father's sons and daughters by daily hiding the word of the Lord in his heart, praying for understanding treasuring up God's word, obeying his father's word, even to the point of death on a cross. 
My son Micaiah is 11. My oldest daughter Natalia is 12. Luke 2.52 says the 12-year-old Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And you might be asking, how in the world did the living God, the all-wise God, grow and increase in wisdom if he's already all-wise? Well, recall that in his divinity, yes, he has always been the all-wise God, but he became fully human in every way like you and I, except he was without sin. So therefore he was born to be the last Adam, the son of David, greater wise king, wiser than Solomon, who images his father, who as a man increased in wisdom to do what Adam and David and Solomon and Israel failed to do. David did not exercise wisdom especially with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite and his adultery. Solomon, a thousand foreign or forbidden women, 700 wives, 300 concubines. But Jesus of Nazareth demonstrated and lived out biblical wisdom perfectly. He hated sin and loved righteousness to the point of death. See, Isaiah 16.5 promised a time when a perfectly wise human king would come who not only loves Yahweh, but does righteousness and justice for humans. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. And what's so amazing about this son of David is that this wise son was cut off, was karat. He bore the curse that circumcision was pointing to. I promised I wouldn't preach on circumcision, but just a tidbit. The Lord said, I'll be cut off, Abram, if I break my promise. But Abram, put the sign, a cutting ceremony, put the sign of circumcision on you and your sons. If they turn away from me, they will be cut off from the land. Jesus Christ bore the curse that circumcision was pointing to that we might have the blessing of a cleansed heart, of a new heart, a heart of stone circumcised or removed to have a heart of flesh filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ experienced the consequence of adulterers and porn addicts. His feet went down to death, Proverbs 2.18, on our behalf for our sin. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've gone down to death with him and he's left your old slave to sin self down there in the grave and he's risen you up with him. See, ultimately, the book of Proverbs was written to the son who sat at his father Joseph's feet, his human father, though not his biological father, and he would have heard these words, my son. Yes, it's my son Joseph, uh, my father Joseph speaking to me, but it's my heavenly father. And my heavenly father promises in Proverbs 1 that if I turn to wisdom, 
Then he'll pour out the spirit of wisdom upon me. Proverbs 1.23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. This was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. The spirit of wisdom was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ, both at his baptism and his ascension. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, David's father, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And how does Peter interpret Pentecost? He says when preaching to 3,000 who would come to the Lord Jesus, This is what's going on, y'all. Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead, and God the Father has poured out the promised Holy Spirit upon him. He's the anointed one, the Mashiach, the Messiah. It's his coronation. The Spirit is poured out on him. The Spirit of wisdom is poured out on him. And the Spirit of wisdom falls down from the head to the body to the church. You have the Spirit of wisdom, brothers and sisters. We no longer have to go on in foolishness. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 2, 3, and 4 tells us to search for wisdom as for hidden treasures. Then you'll find the knowledge of God. Colossians 2, 3 says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Using the same Greek words from the Old Testament Greek. Alluding back to Proverbs 2, Paul certainly is there. Brothers and sisters, the Lord of the covenant has written his word on our hearts that we might store up wisdom and be attentive to wisdom and call out to wisdom in prayer before our Heavenly Father, and he promises to give it. Remember that this week as you face temptation... And the fruit of wisdom is we will dwell in the land, the new creation, heavenly land, as our reward forever. Truly, the upright ones in Christ, the upright ones will dwell in the land. Those having integrity will remain in it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, all humanity sinned against you in Adam, who failed to be the wise son, king, You could have left us in our foolishness. But Father, it pleased you as the source of wisdom to overflow wisdom from your heart. And wisdom came as a person, the son of wisdom. Thank you for him. Thank you for our firstborn brother, Jesus Christ, our God and King. Make us wise sons and daughters, Father, who turn away from evil and help us parents to impart this wisdom to our children that they may come to the knowledge of God in a saving way. Thank you for Delray Baptist Church. May you continue to teach your word of wisdom faithfully as you have through our pastor Garrett and your people here. In Jesus' name, amen.